Hey friends, I hope you're all staying healthy and safe and comfortable and that you're taking care of the people and pets and plants that are important to you. I had my first COVID vaccine shot this past Wednesday. And Thursday and Friday I had that soreness in uh, my shoulder, which I expected. And it, it, it didn't affect my sleep or anything and I was able to just kind of ignore it. But, but yesterday, and by yesterday I mean Saturday, I, I woke up feeling like absolute garbage. I mean, I just, I just felt like fluey and run down. It, it was my wife's birthday yesterday, and she worked all day. And, and while she worked, I had stuff to get done. So so I just pushed through, you know. I, I got everything done I needed to get done so we could celebrate her birthday when she got home from work. And it all worked out okay. Now, I, I, I got a good night's sleep last night, and I figured today I'd be back to feeling like my old self. But this morning, I slept in. And when I finally got out of bed, I felt worse than I did all day yesterday. So I don't know if what's knocking me on my butt is the effect from the vaccine, or if it's just my allergies, or it's a cold coming on. Regardless, it sucks. Now, I'll tell you what doesn't suck. What doesn't suck is this book I finished reading the other day, titled Nothing But a Good Time, The Uncensored History of the 80s Hard Rock Explosion by Tom Bojor and Richard Beanstalk. This book was incredible, guys. I... I I wasn't a huge fan of the hair metal scene of the 1980s, but, but the stories that came out of this book from over 200 individuals who lived through that scene were jaw-droppingly great. So in this book, you've got interviews from people like Slash from Guns N' Roses, Brett Michaels from Poison, Kip Winger from Winger, you know, all the, all the people that you'd expect to hear. But then there's tons of others, and there are, there are all these producers and managers, photographers, everybody has their say. Oh my God, what a book. It was uh, it was over 500 pages, and I read it in about a week and a half. I couldn't put it down. I definitely recommend it if you're a fan of oral history-type pop culture books, or if you just love stories about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So good! Now let me tell you about some other books that are also so good. Now I'm talking about the novels of Andy Mascola. And for those who may be listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast for the first time, first of all, welcome uh, I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. There are no ads on this podcast, and there is no Patreon set up for it. That is why, in the opening monologue of every episode, I take a moment to remind listeners that I am an author of eight self-published novels that are all available worldwide in both paperback and ebook formats via Amazon. Now, if you don't use Amazon, you can find most of my books in paperback format at barnesandnoble.com. Now, I, I encourage you to go to either Amazon or barnesandnoble.com and type my name, Andy Mascola, into the search bar and buy one or two of my books. If you've already purchased any or all of my novels, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song.
Hello, People Are the Enemy listeners! This is episode 171 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thanks for checking it out. Thanks for spending time with me. I should say us! We have a guest, and he's actually in studio today. I'm excited, and and this is... If, for those familiar with the show who've been listening for a while, you may remember episode 163 where I talked about going into Boston with my friend Thomas. And uh, I've known Thomas for just under a year now, and uh, we've been looking for a time to, to get together and have him come on the show, and obviously... He's in the neighborhood. He's a he's one of they they call the meat friends. M e a t is and he's the he's you can see him in the flesh. He's right. <laughs> he's not virtual. He's not on the phone. So you know it's just funny because Thomas came over to record the show. He's in the People Are the Enemy Tower in the studio with me today. And uh, just before we were on the air, he said, "Oh yeah, by the way, my last name is pronounced Austin." <laughs> and I wanted to say, <laughs> I was say, wait, what? <laughs> I've been pronouncing his name completely different as long as we've known each other. And he's never corrected me. He's the, he's the sweetest guy. He's a, never corrected me. He didn't want to stop the flow of a conversation. This is Thomas Austin, ladies and gentlemen. It, it, he's a photographer. He is uh, currently working on a short film. It's very exciting. I'm, I'm doing my best to help him with it. Not that he needs any help. He's very, very creative in his own right. And he's a smart fella. And uh, Thomas, good to see you. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, thank you. It's good to see you. It's good. good it's good to have too. you here. We're yeah, gonna we're gonna make excited. sure we we're gonna make sure we link to all Thomas's uh, stuff, and I encourage folks to check folks to check out his work because he's uh, very good at what he does. He's nonstop. He's one of those compelled artists. You know, when you hear about people that are just like they literally can't stop doing a thing, and I think I I talked about that on episode one sixty three, where you know uh, you know wherever we were, Thomas had his camera out and he was taking pictures. He was you know in, in some cases I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put him in, <laughs> on the spot, but I'll say. You know, some people would have been afraid for their lives, you know, but but not me. No, I was just like, oh, this is the way I go. This is the way I go. It's yeah. all right, just how it goes. But uh, for those interested, yes. if you don't want to wait until uh, the end of the episode to check it out, you can literally listen along and, and check out Thomas's photos at Tom, Thomas underscore O underscore photos on Instagram, and we'll make sure we link to everything else. Anyway, the purpose of Thomas coming on the show today was... I still wanted to do something. If you remember episode 169, two, two episodes ago, Adam Savage, a uh, uh, YouTuber, and I swapped albums. It was sort of an experiment just to have each other listen to something and then discuss the albums. And I wanted to do the same thing with a film. And Thomas is a huge movie guy, though his taste in movies is almost the polar opposite of mine. He's very, very mainstream. He loves, you know, the these uh, big-budget Hollywood films. Not that he doesn't appreciate smaller-budget things, uh, but but... But he tends to gravitate toward those, and I tend to gravitate toward the weird and the independent and the foreign oftentimes. But, you know, but we meet along the same lines. We meet somewhere in the center, because we're both like Jaws. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> there are things yes. that, we, that, are both pop that are popular that we both like, I think. But anyway, so I thought it would be a fun experiment for Thomas and I to swap, swap films. And he'd watch a film that I recommended that he'd never seen. That was free on YouTube, by the way. And he recommended a film that... I'd never seen that was also free on YouTube and we're going to have links to these also in the episode so you can check these films out for yourself because they're absolutely for whatever reason nobody wants to have anything to do with them <laughs> and they're absolutely like uh what do they call that when it's when it's when it's free what's that called I can't think of the name of it off offhand but there's um I don't know it's not like that they it's not like that they timed out you know what I mean it's just that I think no studio owns them or thinks that mm. they're worth making money off anyway for for what I recommended Thomas, I recommended him a Russ Meyer movie. He'd never seen a Russ Meyer movie, and I recommended the 1965 
Russ Meyer film, Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, which I, I adore. I love it. I've seen it so many times. And he recommended to me this film that I'd never seen. It was a 1985 Australian made-for-cable-TV movie called Fortress, directed by uh, Arch Nelson and based on a Gabrielle Lord's uh, novel called The Fortress from 1980. Now, Thomas's backstory, as far as how he discovered this movie, was fascinating to me. And I'm hoping he could, he could recreate it here. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> want me to go ahead? Please, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Um, show's great. Uh, you're a great friend. So the way I the way the way I found out about Fortress. So I, I guess it came out in '85, and I'm in '85. I'm five, so I'm born in '80. So I see this movie. I remember uh, being six years old. So the odd thing about that is this is not meant for six year old. <laughs> this is a total non non-six-year-old movie so i probably at, at the very latest seven years old and i remembered having hbo as a kid and waking up in the middle of the night and it was just one of these films that i'd, I'd just get up and watch just whatever hbo had on in the middle of the night and i got wrapped up in watching this movie and andy might tell you about it but at the beginning it seems very uh it, it's wholesome like at the beginning it's about a a small school in a small Australian town, and it's it's almost one of like those uh, the old school schools where there's one teacher that teaches all different grades because of like a size of the town or something, and they get abducted, and it's this total <laughs> nightmarish movie. But and it's it scared the pants off me. Just like um, around that same um, age, I remember being afraid of it but loving it was the fly. I, I always. That's not a movie for kids together. either, is it? That's no, what I've never seen. All. But from what I, I oh, know of David Cronenberg movies, oh, man, they're that, creepy. Yeah, that actually I remember watching that at six and crying. Oh, and dear. I had the same kind of feeling <laughs> oh, with with Fortress. Thomas, and where 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 were any kind of adults in this situation? To, to that was a the the fly was a blockbuster movie. I was with my mom and stepdad. Yeah, with, and when it was when you go to Blockbuster and make it a blockbuster night on the weekend, like hey, we'll get this movie. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum and. Gina Davis, and halfway through, I'm I'm like crying. Like, I was <laughs> oh, like, it's no. okay, it's okay. Oh, no, oh no. But um, Fortress, um, you were left unattended. I assume, like it was the middle of the night. You just turned the TV yeah, on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, there was no one there, and but oddly enough, um, since I can remember, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. That was my that was my dream. I've always had a passion for filmmaking and cinematography, and I just I love movies. It's just that's just part of me. That's just part of my personality. Um, I usually get along with uh, people that have this, like like you. You love. You have an affinity for movies. Yeah, we can we can chop it up. Absolutely. Sure. But there's like I said, even though even though our, our interests uh, tend to are some ways different, we could we, yep. we find a middle ground. Yep. Thomas, if you don't mind, I wanted to read this New York Times oh, review absolutely. of Fortress, absolutely. and I've died for you to hear yeah, it. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Okay, this is great. So I I did some research while I was watching this movie because, like Thomas says. It's it feels like it starts in one tone where it's very wholesome and innocent. It's like oh children, you know, which is very you know Australian. Obviously, I can't do an Australian accent, but you know, and the kids are doing you know um, you know uh, silly things to each other, and and then and then it takes a turn and it's horrifying. <laughs> but anyway, so I I did some research on it. I found this this review of Fortress uh, from by John J. O'Connor, and this was uh, from November 27th, 1985, in the New York Times. I'm just going to read it, because it tells you what the movie's about. 
and it's hilarious in retrospect, knowing after I've watched it. Searching rather unsuccessfully for properties to flesh out its premier film roster, Home Box Office has now gone as far as Australia. It shouldn't have bothered. The pay cable service found a two-hour film titled Fortress, adapted by Everett DeRoche from a novel by Gabrielle Lord. Its only, assets, ac sorry, its only asset is Rachel Ward, star of such movies as Sharky's Machine, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, and Against All Odds. And even Miss Ward, a former model and beautifully angular, and still beautifully angular, is not terribly convincing as a grade school teacher clucking over her young wards in the outback. Directed by Arch Nicholson, Fortress gives the impression that it isn't quite sure of its bearings. Perhaps this is intentional as a device to keep the audience off balance. But it succeeds only in being irritating. <laughs> there is a clue of the violence to come in the opening scene in which Tommy, played by a young actor with the distinctive name of Sean Garlic, shoots a fox and casually brings it home for family display. These Australians evidently are not squeamish sorts. But the main action gets underway at the schoolhouse when Sally Jones, Miss Ward, has her lazy lessons interrupted by four thugs with ornate masks pulled over their heads. The leader, wearing a Santa Claus mask, is especially vicious and clearly psychotic. Apparently escaping from the authorities, the men take Sally and her nine charges, including Tommy, to some distant desert and seal them in a cave. At that point, Fortress looks like it will turn out to be a lesson in survival, as Sally teaches the children how to, among other things, make candles from some empty soda cans, salad oil, and shoelaces. Is Fortress meant to be a children's film? Hardly! <laughs> Managing to get out of the cave, the captives flee to a farmhouse only to discover that the villains got there before them. At that point, the movie turns into a blood and gore exercise inspired by everything from Lord of the Flies to the latest harem scarum gimmicks of teenage horror movies. Determined to survive, Sally and the kids turn into blank-eyed clones from Invasion of the Body Snatchers and end up in their own private conspiracy of vicious revenge. This is definitely not a children's <laughs> film. <laughs> Produced by Ray Menmuir uh, for Crawford Productions, Fortress is a bit of an oddity in that it doesn't even pretend to offer a cautionary warning about violence. This is an eye-for-an-eye country, and there's an end to it. Meanwhile... However, the producers at HBO do manage to arrange a nude, or at least topless, scene for Miss Ward. <laughs> Even in Australia, something's never changed when it comes to obvious ploys. Throughout, Miss Ward has the good sense to look as if she would rather be in the miniseries The Thornbirds. Oh my god, dude. Oh, wow. Dude, this movie is crazy, and I'm going to tell you something. I thought for sure, I was like, I'm going to have to sit through this thing. I mean, Thomas, like, and you've only seen it once. You saw it once when you were six. Yep. You never watched it again. I haven't seen it You since. never returned to it. You nope. just remembered it I because remember it, like, it. scarred you. Imprint. Okay. Okay. Because I thought to myself, okay, I'll watch this thing. It can't be nearly as shocking and crazy as Thomas remembers, but it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I found myself, like, laughing through it because the violence was just insane. It would just get, like, I don't even, like decapitation i'll just say that there's decapitation and sexuality i couldn't believe it like in the sexual it wasn't like Im implied it was literally like there you know yeah. what i mean and these were like children that were supposed to be you know in you know oh my god oh my god this movie it's crazy fortress anyway thomas i i, I had you see faster pussycat kill kill and the one thing i kept thinking while i was watching fortress is like fortress is like faster pussycat kill kill but like reversed instead of like you know, four men in masks with guns terrorizing a schoolhouse. Faster Pussycat Kill Kill is like three go-go dancers yep. 
uh, uh, terrorizing like a uh, like a, a farmhouse, like and and the family members. So I was like, "Wow, what are the chances that this would be so similar?" So what what were your thoughts they about the faster well, pussycat? Um, I liked it. It was different. Um, for one, the the first time the I had heard, never heard of Russ Meyer. I'm a big Seinfeld fan. I remember. Remember, I, I told you there's yeah. a, there's a connection. I, I remember uh, Jerry Seinfeld saying. This is like a Russ Meyer film, and I remember <laughs> that. I'm like, oh, Russ Meyer, I don't know who that is. But you knew it meant, like, buxom women, because exactly. in that episode, it's like the one with the waitresses where they're all top-heavy. all heavy. busty women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and, so you and knew one, at least that much. I knew that much. Um, so this film is a uh, starts out in a desert where there's three big, beautiful women, um, busty women that are out in a desert just, I guess, racing their car. It's a very fast-paced movie. And they... It's pretty violent. There's a... Uh, there, what, what is it? The this a gentleman and his girlfriend, a fiancé, unsuspectingly, they, they are... The guy's out there in the desert to, I guess, to time his, to time his little sports car. Right. And these three women... Uh, they take the the girl hostage. I don't know. It was it was a, it was a, it was it's a good film. That they, they killed the 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 boyfriend. Yeah, well, it and, looks and like Ben weird... Affleck. Yeah, he looks like Ben Affleck. <laughs> he looks like a an odd. Yeah, he does. He looks like Ben Affleck. And the way that the the the, the wrestling and like, the way he died was I don't know if I yeah give it away. Uh, I don't think 65. it's spoiling anything. I think it's like because that that image of Tura Satana, who is you know the. The, she's beautiful. Yeah, this black-haired, um, part Asian uh, woman mm -hmm. is like she's breaking his back, like with her foot. Yeah, like like she's literally got his arm and she's like putting her foot into his back, and supposedly that kills uh, kills him. I guess. Yeah, it, it was weird. <laughs> and then they go to, uh, they end up at this house. Um, they have this young girl along the way, and it's this total abduction. And there's a lot of creepiness with the with the father. Yeah, there's but, an old man in a wheelchair. Yeah, There's old man no in a wheelchair who's got these two sons that they live out in the middle of nowhere. But it was a it was a good film actually. It was uh, like looking back. Oh, one of the things about that was uh, I remember white. I think it's White Zombie's first album. Yeah, that's. Do you recognize that soundbite? No. What was the was actress's it name? If you if you the 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 intro to. Um, Thunder Kiss sixty five. What is her voice? It's and I'm like Teresa Tana. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's uh when when they're if you start the album of how do you say it La Sex La, La Sex or Sista or something like that's that. That's it. Yeah. So yeah. when you turn that album on, they open up with a radio, the sound of a radio dial. Yeah. Going through FM stations, and you hear the sound bite of that, and it's uh what's her Tura Teresa Tana Teresa Tana yeah. speaking. And I'm like, do you I remember the line? That. What was it? Was it it was. Um, you want to drive fast? I can. Oh no, she said I don't try anything. I just do it. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then that's when the yeah yeah. Dun, 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 oh, that's dun, so dun. cool. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought, yeah, I thought that was really cool. That is cool. And I think about um. So I guess that I guess he could be looked at. Those films could be looked at as sexist, but I don't think so because I, they were they were these powerful women. Yeah. They were they were taking. They had these men. Just she killed one of them with, yeah. physically with her bare hands, and what? And they have, they were pretty uh, nightmarish. Very good looking, three beautiful women going across the countryside, um, getting what they want. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I agree. Like that. There, there were there are some films by Russ Meyer because there was another film called Motor Psycho in which it was sort of like 
the same sort of thing with Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, except it was three guys that were terrorizing, like, women. Or, like, a women... Like, I, I forget the exact plot. It was kind of half-cocked, but no pun intended. But anyway, <laughs> but Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, I think you're right. It's empowering. You know, it shows it these really women is. who are, like... First of all, they're taking guys for their dough, essentially, and then they're... Yeah, and then anytime these guys try to use them for, for sexual means, it's like they're, they're not going to take it, you know? I noticed too. I have this uh, thing I noticed about mo well sci-fi anyway. If there's, I always think that uh, whenever they throw time travel in to like a sci-fi film, yeah. it's almost like some. It can be lazy writing, like when if you have a screenwriter that's like, uh, we don't know how or, or if they they're trying to connect sequels. If they just some stories do, uh, there'll there'll be four, four films in a series, and they're trying to piece it all together, and the writer will just go. Ah, screw it. Just throw in some time travel. That'll fix everything. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. feel like uh, any any little bit of uh, mishaps in this one, it's, I think, Russ Meyer, I think Cleavage is his time travel. Yeah, like, I think you're right. Like, start kind of losing the story, or yeah. it starts going kind of like, well, left. Like, it's, yeah. Here's some boobs in your face. And it's like, okay, I'm here. I'm with you, Russ. I'm with you. I'm with you, buddy. No, and I think you're works. right. I think you're right. And, and as crazy as it sounds, like... There's no nudity, either. No, that's There's what I was no going to say. For a film that was, like, 1965, and it's supposed to be considered adult i don't even know if there was like a rating system at that point i think this might have been before the whole rating system I there, think. that was definitely before pg-13 i don't know about rating oh, yeah. system i don't know i don't know either but but for a movie that was supposed to be quote-unquote adult like you don't see anything mm, there's no. no there's like there there i think there's one shot of a, a woman from behind and you just see her back yep and a little bit of like what's called side boob yep. <laughs> but that's very beautiful that's that's it side boob yeah yeah but that's it. It was otherwise. Yeah. Otherwise, it was sort of innocent. I don't yeah, even think no they movie. swear. I don't. <laughs> Do yeah, they? you're right. I don't. That's a good question. But there, there is that. violence as as much violence as as, as yes, can be portrayed is. in 1965. It it was. There was it, there was some Without uncomfortable scenes. Effects. There was a very it was a terroristic feeling where that young girl was being that's abducted. True. Yeah, and that was horrifying. She goes from She's one a good group. Actress, right? She yeah, she was She's a good actress. Screaming in terror. She was a good actress. Terrorizing. Oh yeah, she had to watch her fiance get broken like a chicken spatchcock <laughs> yeah. that's how you pretty much went out was just getting snapped and then uh then they end up unsuspectingly they go to a farmhouse or a desert property with a there she's hoping to get rescued and then she ends up with the creepiest people they're even worse yeah. than the women yeah this creepy old man in a wheelchair but um it was a good movie i'm glad um i, I would definitely check out uh, more of Russ Meyer films. Oh, that's good to know, buddy. Yeah, I, don't, was, I didn't know if you would. After yeah, that. no, no, I liked it. I think I, I think it. as far as Russ Meyer movies, and I've always said this because I've seen most of them. Um, I that one's is very good, and there's another one called uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which yeah, is me about that. which is very good. It was just considered his best. Okay, and it's it's uh, it's some quite something to see. What what do you uh, other than the obvious? What do you uh, when you said you watched you've seen uh, the Pussycats? Over and over and over. Yeah. What do you like about Russ Meyer films the most? What draws you to that? I think it's I think it's like the fast cuts. It's like everything happens so quick. Yeah. And um, it's just like cut, 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 cut. And anytime there's an implication of sex, it's always like there's like a voiceover and it's a quick shot and then it changes. Hmm. It's never like explicit. And um, I I also just like um, I also and this is might sound strange to say because I think Russ Meyer technically wrote a lot of his films but the dialogue is always just like it's i guess it was him trying to be hip and i don't oh, okay. know if it necessarily always was hip like vernacular for the time <laughs> yeah. 
but but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I can't say the acting is always especially good, but I think because he's he was such a good cinematographer and the filming was so creative at times, and of course the subjects were so beautiful, mm -hmm. it didn't really matter if the acting was you know fantastic. The know? cinematography was great. There was a few shots there that I'm like, this is this is like photographic. There was a few of them where there was just the just the, uh, the angles that he used, his lighting, and yeah. everything. He started as a war amazing. photographer. Oh, I'm okay. pretty sure that makes like, sense. Yeah, yeah. That he was a sense. he was a photographer. In, I think during World War Two. I'm pretty sure. And then and then he did a lot of photos like for like pinups for like men's magazines for okay. a time. And he that was makes, married to like a that model. Makes sense. So yeah, so you can definitely see that in what he does. Yeah, but uh, definitely an interesting filmmaker for sure. What about the fact that both of these 2021. How? What do you think kind of trouble they would have trying to get both of these films made? Oh my in this god! Day and age. Fortress, first of all, oh my god! Like I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. Like and 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 not for for anything. Like the thing was like, and, and especially in like American cinema, and it's just something I've noticed. Obviously, like they seem to have like American filmmakers have no problem showing like blatant violence. Like that seems to not be a problem at all. And there was some horrible, shocking violence in the Fortress, and I could see that would be fine. But I think, like, the sexuality part of it in the aspect where, like, one of the girls that's in the classroom is supposed to be, like, I think supposed to be, like, 12 or 13, maybe. Oh, yeah. And and the actress herself was, I think, 17 or 18 who, who played this, this character. And um, the innuendo and um, the sexuality that was, that was kind of projected onto this, this person. And again, it was all done with the intent of making the bad guy seem worse, not to obviously make it titillating for the audience. It was to make these, these villains seem creepier that they were into a younger person. Um, but yeah, I don't think any of that would fly to like the teacher at one point has to take off all her clothes to like, like swim, like to go under, <laughs> to go. That and she cave. takes off all her clothes in front of, like, a young boy who, yeah. again, is, like, maybe, like, 11, 10 or 11 years old. And he looks and he's looking and you're you're watching him, like, stare at her, you know, kind of like, what is this? Like, not understanding. Like, that, that sort of thing is, I think, so shocking today, comparatively, to, like, 1985, where it seems like you could probably get away with that. Even yeah. even the things like the, the poster for, for Fortress. It shows her, like... There are a couple different posters, and there's one where her skirt is like completely like torn, and oh, like she's yeah. like you see like her leg, and she's holding a gun, and yeah. it looks very you know titillating. But so it was just like anything at all cost to try to get get the audience, I suppose. Yeah. But what a movie, man! And that I, was wild. I think with the Pussycat, Faster Pussycats, it's um, every, the the what was implied with there was this scene where the the creepy father in the wheelchair, who's obviously the total rapey type he's just yes. a complete rapey type but then it was weird because they in the writing i think they i think a good villain you always not empathize but you will sympathize there's i think like a really good villain is a human they i think sure. you Darth know Vader. Yeah. yeah there's a there's a there's a human there's a weakness you know like yeah with the joker i think there's like which is a great which is a great villain especially with joaquin phoenix and uh heath ledger there's like this mental illness where you feel kind of bad. Sure. A guy that was outcasted or bullied or whatever it is, you feel bad for the guy. So with with this film, the father had this tragic. Uh, well, he's in a wheelchair, so you have this this tragic thing happen to him, which I guess he fell off of a a train yeah. uh, platform. That was yeah. That was that was what was implied. Yeah, because he the, sort of tells a story about it. Yeah. And the young lady 
looked, she favored the the young lady that fell off of the platform with him. So he was like angry at the fact that um, he was hurt and disabled. But then it totally, you just totally didn't give a shit because he's this total <laughs> creepy rapey guy. It's like, fuck that, man. Hope he fucking falls again. <laughs> Too bad he made it from that one, you know. But um, And then you were telling me about uh, just with kind of the change of the times, um, and I totally am for equal rights for everyone. Yeah. Uh, but we, you talked to me about... Um, oh, that they were going to make a Russ Meyer biopic with Will Ferrell. Will where? Okay, I thought yeah. it was John C. Riley. No, no. It, it, you know, obviously, easily, easily, easily mistake to make mm-hmm. is they, they starred a lot of the same films. But mm-hmm. yeah, they, they had... They had cast Will Ferrell as as Russ Meyer, and they're going to make like his a biopic that was part, you know, obviously humorous for good reason. Um, but uh, yeah, it all got that that idea was kind of put away after the whole Me Too thing yeah. came up. Anyway, Thomas, this has been so much fun. Oh I'm yeah, so glad we got to do Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Uh, this has been episode one hundred and seventy one of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as a dollar ninety nine. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Thomas Austin. Thank we you. Love you. Peace. Thank you. Peace. <laughs>